Well, good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Can we stand together and proclaim the great name of our Lord this morning? Come on, let's sing this out. We love to call your name. Great, this is 
welcome God. We worship today. Well, good morning. Wheaton Bible Church is so good to be in the house of God today, worshiping with you all, lifting up the name of our God together. This morning we have some guests with us on stage. I want to introduce my, my dear friend Jana. Next to Jana we have Tiffany. Back on guitar we have Steven. And our bass player Sheldon. We are so excited for them to be here leading us in worship today. Would you welcome them one more time, church? Let's continue to worship our God. Psalm 9, 1 through 2 says this. It says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds, and I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, Jesus. So we lift his name high. Well, good morning.
our freedom in Christ this morning. We are His.
multi-color, multi-flavor, multi-ethnic kingdom of God. Beautiful. 
It is because we believe in this that we're doing the worship that we're doing today. It is because God has in mind this kind of kingdom and he's establishing that kind of kingdom. Amen? Amen. You may take a seat. It is because as a church we believe in a great commission. Part of the great commission means that God is sending us to make disciples of, of all the nations. And I hope you know that the word nation is, is the word ethnos. God is calling the church to make disciples of all ethnicities. And it is because we have been committed to this for so many years already that we have been able to support a couple of missionaries that moved to Costa Rica 15 years ago, Phil and Jill, uh, uh, Jill Aspergreen. See, this couple received a call from the Lord to go and serve and help kids that had been separated from their families. And for 15 years, they have been doing this amazing ministry in which they try to get in contact with different churches, for churches to adopt kids. And for the last 15 years, the Lord has used this couple and their ministry to put about 900 kids in different homes in the country of Costa Rica. Let's give them glory. The Lord has used them so and so much. And now another 20 nations in Latin America are reaching out to them so they could grow in that area and learn how to do that ministry. Now, I want you to see that part of the reason why we are able to support missionaries like this and send missionaries like this is because of your generosity, because you are choosing to worship the Lord through your generosity. So I want to thank you if you are already part of the, of the church that is committed to the church financially. If you are not part of that group yet, I want to invite you to join us. You could go to witnbible.org slash give, or you could um, give your offering at the, at the end of the services in one of the, the boxes that we have by the entrance. I want us to see, we want us to see the kingdom of God expanded, not just here in different parts of the world, and your uh, generosity allows us to do that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you allowed us to contribute to what you are already doing in this world. We are thankful that you allow us to be part of your redemptive plan in this creation. We thank you for people like Phil and Jill in Costa Rica. We ask for your blessings upon them. We pray that you continue to use them for the glory of your name, the joy of your people, and the salvation of those who are far from you. And Lord, even though today we celebrate, we also come to you with heavy hearts. Because we continue to be reminded what it means to live in a world that is still broken. From members of our congregation that need your healing hand, to families that, you, that need your restoring power, from awful incidents like the ones in Indianapolis with the shooting of eight people, to the one in Chicago, in La Villita, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. From families that have lost their loved ones to the complexity of pursuing truth and justice. From a pandemic that just won't go away to families that are still struggling financially. From broken relationships to members of our congregation having to make important decisions. Oh, Father, shelter us now 
in the shadow of your wings. Oh, Jesus, bind our wounds. Be our great healer. Oh, Holy Spirit, who enter our very grief, intercede now for all these hurting people and this broken land. We ask you, Father, to be merciful to those now wounded, to give clarity to those seeking truth, to give discernment to those who need to make decisions, to give peace to those in agony, to bring harmony in the midst of chaos. Use us as a church, Lord. Help us to become more and more your voice and your hands. Teach us to weep with those that weep, to rejoice with those that rejoice. Teach us compassion, love, and mercy. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says,
familia? What a pleasure it is for us to be together. How about if we give a hand to the worship team again? All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here. And I want to welcome you again to Wheaton Bible Church. Whether you are here in person or you're worshiping with us online, I want to say that it's always a blessing when we get to worship the Lord together. Amen? Amen. All right, so let me calm down. Last week we started a two-part series on a topic that is very important to us as a church and as leaders of the church, and it's the concept of multi-ethnicity. And part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this is because we have always been a church that believes in the great, that have always believed in the Great Commission. And as I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, when we talk about being part of the Great Commission, we know that the Lord is calling us to make disciples of all the nations, and the word nations is ethnicities. If you have been part of the church for the last 90 years, you probably know that this is the reason why we have been supporting and sending missionaries for more than 90 years now. If you have been part of the church, this is, this is the reason why you probably already know that we support indigenous missionaries and leaders in different parts of the world. If you have been part of the church for a while, you already know that this is the reason why 30 years ago we opened the doors of our church to welcome a Latino congregation known as Iglesia del Pueblo. If you have been part of the church, you already know Probably already know that for the last 10 years, we have been supporting different ethnic groups so they could meet here in our building. And yet, after 90 years of ministry, the Lord continued to push us more and more. The Lord continued to call us to become more and more multi-ethnic. And I'm going to say something that I said last week if you were here. The reason why we are talking about this is because it's a biblical conviction. Because we do believe in a great commission. We do believe in a great commandment. And because we believe that every ethnicity has value and dignity and purpose and beauty. We are not doing this because we're trying to be popular, cool, or because we're reacting to something. We are already popular. We are already cool because we are popular and cool in Jesus Christ. Amen? So last week I started talking about unity in diversity from the Old Testament perspective. And today we're going to talk about unity in diversity from the New Testament perspective. And I want to start by reading a section of the scripture that is well known for, by a lot of Christians. And it's Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 36 to uh, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 47. If you have your Bibles, please go there. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to put the verses on the screen. I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you're still here, say, I'm here. I'm here. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, let all Israel... Be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, please speak to us this morning. We ask for the presence, the power, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we open up this beautiful text. Please convince us of the things that we, that we need to be convinced. Give us the understanding that is needed. Lead us to repentance if it's required. Transform us so we become what we already are. In the name of Jesus we pray. And the church says, you may take a seat. Today we're going to talk about three things. I think that this text and the rest of the New Testament is going to call us to embrace who we already are, to deal with what we already have, and to live in light of what we already seen. To embrace who we really are, we already are, to deal with what we already have, and to live in light of what we have already seen. Let's go with the first point, to embrace who we already are. Now, the heart of the section that we just read is actually verses 42 to 47. And, and before I give a, a description or an explanation of what that looked like, for those Christians at that time in that context, it's important that we understand first that they were living in a Greco-Roman world. It's important that we take that into consideration for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because the Greco-Roman world was not a world that celebrated diversity. Actually, they didn't even celebrate multi-ethnicity. It was a world, the Greco-Roman world, that was radically divided, not, by, not just by ethnicity, but by everything else. They did not believe in a mixing of people. They did not believe that people of different backgrounds should be together. They did not believe that people of different stage in life should, not be, should be together. They did, not be, they did not believe that different ethnicities should be together. Out of a sudden, though, in a very supernatural way, this Greco-Roman world is being affected by a small group of people that was destroying their world and creating a new one. This small group of people uh, embrace unity in diversity, embrace people of different genders, male and females, 
Embrace people of different ages. Embrace people of different backgrounds. Religious and non-religious, ethical and unethical. Embrace people of different social classes and careers. Rich, poor, people of influence. And people had everything and people had nothing. By a supernatural way, this small group of people learn how to come together and do life together. Can you say life together? Actually, the text that we just read shows us really clear how they lived. For example, in verse 42, they said that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Now, the word devoted there is important because he's saying that these people were intentional and persistent about coming together to learn, to share their lives, to eat together, and to pray together. Persistent about that. In verse 44, for example, it says that these believers had everything in common. And they were willing to sell their things in order to help somebody else in need. Notice that this was a group of believers that were radically committed to one another. And they were willing to sacrifice everything and anything for the sake of one another. This group, in verse 46, says... That will meet together all the time, come to the temple courts. We could translate that as coming to church often. And they will break the bread. That seems like if the Bible is talking about communion. And then they would eat together at, in homes, meeting that they ate inside the church and they went home and continued eating. And that they were recognized by people who praised God. That was the small group of people that changed the world. A very diverse group of people that knew how to live in unity. They were devoted, committed to one another, exercising sacrificial love, submitting to God. The crazy thing about this small group of people is that the Lord used them to bring people to salvation. Verse 47. Now, I am not saying that people got converted because they saw their testimony. Testimony brings people to Jesus, but it doesn't save anybody because we need the proclamation of the gospel for someone to get saved. But what I'm saying is that the Lord used their lifestyle, their unity in diversity to bring people to him. This was the same group of people that verses before had believed, had repented, had been baptized and were united by the power of the gospel and because of the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question that we have to ask the text is, how do we know that that happened? Or better question is, what happened before this happened? Well, if you know a little bit of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 is known as the chapter of Pentecost. If you guys remember, the Lord, by the, by the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, caused the disciples to gather and start proclaiming the wonders of God. That's what they were doing. And because of the Holy Spirit, there is what some scholars would call the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Seeing the Tower of Babel in Genesis, people were divided. And now, because of the proclamation of the gospel and the presence of the Spirit, there's a reversal of that. And instead of people being divided, now they're being united. 
Now, Peter, which is the leader of the group, he performs, you could say, or preaches his first sermon. In this sermon, about 3,000 people, more than 3,000 people, come to the saving of Come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One sermon, 3,000 people. That's a sermon, people. <laughs> now, what is interesting, though, and this is the part that we tend to forget or completely miss, is that the people that we talked about from verses 42 to 47 that had everything in common and were devoted to the teachings uh, of the apostles and all of these things, all these people that knew how to live together and do ministry together and love one another actually belonged to 16 different groups. I mean, I, I'm not going to read that because that's complicated. But I want you to see that verses 9 through 11, and you can read that at home, you have 16 different groups. And if you include the Galileans, that will be 17 different groups. The people that we saw in, in verses 42 to 47 was a group of believers that devoted themselves to the word of God, that practiced fellowship, that we ate together, that did church together, that practiced spiritual disciplines together, that shared their goods together or with one another, that would sell their properties for the sake of others, included 17 different groups. Why is that important, church? Because when we talk about unity in diversity, we are not just talking about females and males, different ages, different backgrounds, different social class. We are saying that right from the beginning, the New Testament church was a multi-ethnic church. Right from the beginning. I'm going to put it in a different way. The New Testament shows us that the concept of multi-ethnicity was the norm, not the exception. And I hope you know that in our time, multi-ethnicity is the exception, not the norm. See, any believer that believes in a great commission, has to believe in multi-ethnicity. Maybe this is the reason why the New Testament use, uses the word nations or ethnos about 162 times in the New Testament. Maybe that's the reason why the New Testament has about 150 verses that talk about nations. See, Part of what the Lord used with the first century church was that it was a multi-gender, multi-generation, multi-social class, multi-background, and multi-ethnic church. Right from the beginning. They didn't mess it up. We did. Actually, when you keep on reading in Acts chapter 13, you see that the church had diverse leaders. And part of the reason why that was is because... Multi-ethnicity, diversity, ethnic diversity was normal. What is it they had that we need to remember today? Let me tell you what they had. That their primary identity was not their gender. That their primary identity was not their age. That their primary identity was not their career. 
that their primary identity were not their accomplishments and their, and their titles, and that their primary identity was not their ethnicity. Their primary identity was their religious identity, who they were to God and who they were in Jesus. There's a scholar called, uh, his name is Larry, Larry Hurtado, and uh, he's a theologian and a historian, and he, uh, he's one of the scholars that talk a lot about the Greco-Roman world. And he says that when we think about Acts chapter 2, actually the book of Acts, we have, to, we have to take into consideration that people hated Christians back in those days. Not only they were the minority, but people hated Christians back in those days. It seems like if the story is being repeated again. So don't be surprised like if we're going through something new. And he says that Christians were considered, they were labeled as silly, stupid, irrational, simple, wicked, hateful, obstinate, antisocial, extravagant, and perverse. How is it that they survived? And how do they practice the diversity in unity and unity in diversity? And this is what Larry says. Early Christians took up a new kind of religious identity that uniquely was both exclusive and not related to their ethnicity. All believers of whatever ethnic, sexual, or social class became one in Christ Jesus. Their distinctions were no longer to function as, the, as, as ways to, of justifying discrimination in the treatment of one another. Instead, their new identity, can you say new identity? Was to shape both how they saw themselves and how they saw their fellow believers. Did you catch that last sentence? It is the gospel, the very thing that defines who we are and how we view ourselves and how we view others. Discrimination, racism, classism, segregation is a distortion of the gospel. And it's a distortion of our identity as Christians. There's another scholar, his name is Dr. Irwin Inns. He says that when we allowed our blackness, our whiteness, our Asianness, our Latinoness to be at the center of our identity, we will divide ourselves even as Christians. When we allowed our ethnicity to become our primary identity, we will divide ourselves even as Christians. This is why we needed the unifying power of the gospel. This is the reason why we needed the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says that God alone has the wisdom power and grace to weave the tangled threads of different people with different cultures, customs, and languages into a single tapestry of glorious beauty. The Spirit does not remove our diversity, 
Rather, he enabled us to love, hear, seek, understand, and pursue one another in our diversity, all kinds of diversity. With the Holy Spirit, we hear and understand. Without him, we misunderstand through fear, distrust, and self-ambition. Unity cannot engineer, or cannot be engineered. It is a matter of the Spirit. Listen up, church. We are not asking the church to do something that is different to what we're supposed to be. We are asking the church to embrace who we already are. The kingdom of God is a multicolored, multi-flavored, multi-ethnic, multi-age, multi-gender, multi-social class kingdom of God. Do you believe that? Oh, that was depressing. Do you believe that? How about if you give God glory for that? Listen, since we are talking about multi-ethnicity, I might be a little bit more Latino than usual. <laughs> so don't be offended by that. Not only we need to embrace who we already are, but we need to deal with the stuff that we already have. And this world is going to get a little bit complicated, and I promise that I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about Peter. I'm going to share with you something about me that I have already shared with you in the past. Before I do that, uh, let me remind you of, of share with you something that Rob and I experienced a, a, a few months ago, actually. Rob and I were talking to uh, Pastor Rob. We're, uh, Rob and I were talking to this uh, Christian leader from a very respectable uh, organization, a leader that we respect and admire and listen. And um, he made a joke, and it was actually funny. Um, and we both laughed and stuff like that. But after he made the joke, I went home and saying, maybe that wasn't that funny. So when he was greeting us, he says, hey, you guys, are you guys reading Bible church? And Rob and I say, yes. And then he says, aren't you guys the church that is trying to become more multi-ethnic? And we said, yes. And then he said, good luck with that. Don't be offended. We, we laughed. And yet when I went home, I realized that he was partly true. Because to become multi-ethnic, to actually do this unity in ethnic diversity, it is complicated. That's what I said last week, and I'm going to repeat it again. I think that the multi-ethnic church is a beautiful church. It's just really hard to do. And the reason for that is because prejudice is hard to kill. Inclinations are hard to kill. Tendencies are hard to kill. And I could say that that is true, not just because it's my opinion and I've, I have seen it, but because there is a reason why the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, put so much emphasis on the gospel, and then they talk about racial reconciliation. That's a reality. So I told you that I want to I talk about two people. I want to talk about Peter, right? Because he's easier to talk about someone that is not here. 
and because he cannot defend himself. <laughs> and then I'm going to share my story, the multi-ethnic guy. So here we have Peter, the guy that got to see what the Lord did at Pentecost. Here we have Peter, the man that the Lord used to preach a sermon, the best sermon ever, in which 3,000 people got converted on the spot. Here we have Peter, the man that proclaimed the gospel. And the Spirit used them in such a way that people from 17 different places were worshiping one Father, one Son, by the power of one Spirit. This is the same Peter that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, called people to repent, to be baptized, and to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. The interesting thing about Peter, though, is that he sees all of this, and five to eight years later, in Acts chapter 10, the Lord needs to remind him of something that already happened. So between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, there's somewhere between 8 to 5 years. And when Peter is in Acts chapter 10, he receives this vision in which he sees this thing coming down from heaven. And in this thing, he sees a bunch of different animals. And the Lord says to him, Peter, kill and eat. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. But look at what Peter says in verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never, seen, I've never e eaten anything impure or unclean. And in verse 15, God says, do not call anything impure. Because God has made things clean. Translation for me. Now, what is interesting about this narrative is that Peter is thinking about food. Rightly so. Peter is probably thinking about dinner. He's trying to make a distinction. Let's say that it was dinner time. He's trying to make a distinction between, okay, wait, am I, am I allowed to have steak or pork chops? Am I allowed to have fish or pork chops? Of course, God was not talking about food. He was talking about people. And at the same time, God is working in another man. His name is Cornelius, which happened to be a Gentile Italian. Any Italians in the house? Like four of you guys? All right. <laughs> God sends Peter to that house. It's so interesting how Peter introduces the conversation in verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a visit or visit a Gentile. Now, stop, stop right there for a second, people. What kind of introduction is this? Wasn't he present in Pentecost? Five to eight years before. Didn't he see what the Lord does? Didn't he see what the Lord was uniting? And then he said, but God has shown me. So apparently he went through a process that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So this is Peter saying, listen, I know that this is not supposed to be the way it is. I know that this is what culture says, that this shouldn't happen. 
I know that this is not normal. But the Lord has showed me that what happened at Pentecost continues today. And you would say, man, you would think it. You would think that five and years, five to eight years, can you keep the same concept for those years? Now check this out. He goes to the church in Acts chapter 11, and he shares this thing with, with the church in Acts chapter 11. And the response of the church is just as weird as Peter's response. Because the church says, so then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that lead to life? I don't know if these guys were present in Pentecost five to eight years before that. But the way they responded leads me to believe that something happened between those five years that they forgot that whenever God unites something or someone, they cannot be separated. Ten years later, Paul is in Galatia. Eighteen years after Pentecost. And when he gets over there, he sees Peter. And this is what he says. When Cephas or Peter, um, when he went over there, when Cephas came to Antioch, which happened to be a multi-ethnic city, I, Paul, opposed aggressively. That's what that word means. Opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So he saw something in Peter that was weird. That did not go according to the gospel. That did not go according to the power and ministry of the spirit. That did not go according to what he saw in Acts chapter 10 and what he saw in Acts chapter 2. This is what he saw in Peter. For before certain men came from James, he used to, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Jews. Can you see what Peter is doing after 18 years of, being, of learning about this thing? What the Lord had united, he was separating. You know, true biases come out when you have to make a personal decision. I want to argue that most of us are similar to Peter. And that's why we need to be reminded of our primary identity. And we need to be reminded of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter needed to make a decision. Who's going to be more important here? My Christian brothers of my ethnicity. And he chose his ethnicity. 18 years later. 18 years after Pentecost. Now, the reason why Peter is such an important character to me is because he gives me hope. And the reason why we got to pay attention to Peter is because we need to understand that this is a reality of many of our hearts. And I told you that I wanted to share about Peter, but I also wanted to share about my heart. 
once again, because I am the multi-ethnic guy. And this is something that I shared with you two years ago. So if you were in church two years ago, you might remember it. If not, brand new stuff. So I have been thinking about this concept for about 13 years. And I believe everything that I preach about and I heard others preaching about and I believe what the Bible says. And yet, there's still something in my heart that the Lord has not complete yet. So I was having a conversation with one of my daughters about boyfriends. Because, yes, I like to suffer. It was, probably the, it was probably Satan influencing my thoughts. But I asked one of my daughters, who would you like to marry in the future? Like, I mean, in the future. <laughs> and she says, I don't know. I don't really like Latinos. <laughs> what? you seen this? <laughs> and then, you know, I let it go, and I went out with my thing, and within seconds, I can almost hear the Holy Spirit asking a question. Why did that matter? This is not just because he's my daughter, you know. It's because there's something there that is so subtle that I could blame it on anything else. But the Spirit did not allow me. And that day, I made a completely different prayer. Lord, I don't care who you bring to my daughter. Just let her be a Christian. Doesn't matter color or flavor, doesn't, doesn't matter background, doesn't matter ethnicity. At the end of the day, what matters most is that that kid better be a Christian. Give him glory. That only happens when your primary identity is who you are in Jesus. So we need to embrace what we already are. We need to deal with the things that we already have. And lastly, we need to live in light of what we have already seen. So last week, for those of you that were here, I gave you this text from the Old Testament. I said that the concept of multi-ethnicity, God invented it. This is the reason why he raised Abraham to, be, uh, to make of him a great nation, to bless the nations. And I also told you that this is the reason why Jesus came as the better Abraham to fulfill that promise. And it's because Jesus came to fulfill that promise, the reason why we read today this verse. That a ton of people from 70 different places accepted the message and were baptized. And the Lord added that day alone 3,000 people to his church. How about if I tell you that you need that first verse... You need the verse that we just read, but you need an even bigger and better vision, which is the vision that we have in Revelation chapter 7. This is where we get this great multitude. It's the picture of the best worship service ever. Is we get this great multitude that no one can count from every nation, say nation, 
tribe, say tribe. People, language, standing before the Lord and before the Lamb. Why do I say that this was a worship service? Because they were singing their lungs out. Saying salvation belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the Lamb. See, the future picture of the restoration of all creation is where people of different ages and backgrounds, gender, and different ethnicities are all saying salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what that means? That as Christians, we know that we are being called, saved, rescued, redeemed, adopted, loved, and embraced by God the Father through the work of the, of the Son and applied because of the Holy Spirit. And that's our primary identity. When we all know that we have been saved by grace, salvation belongs to the Lord. And this week I was thinking about that vision. And I remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. And we're not, I'm not going to read that dream. I think that we got to have a similar dream as a church. I think this is, this is the heart of the leadership of the church, that we have a dream similar to that dream. Maybe, just maybe, we should dream that the church's primary identity is truly Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Maybe we should dream that the church becomes more and more diverse at all levels. Amen? Amen? Maybe we should dream that the church truly believes that there's beauty in the multi-flavor, multi-shape, multi-color kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Maybe we should dream that we find the different tones and, co and cultures and customs beautiful. Maybe we should dream that we get to the point that we truly believe that we're better together than separate. Maybe we should dream that we learn how to weep and rejoice with those brothers and sisters that are not like us. Maybe we should dream that we get to the point that we can truly say that we need one another. Maybe we should dream about that day when we can truly, truly embrace who we already are. Maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe we got a dream about that day in which everything that we already have ceased to exist. Maybe we should dream about that day in which we, everything that we have seen is not just a dream, but it becomes a reality. You know how crazy good heaven is going to be? Why settle for anything less than that? Do I get an amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the gospel. We are grateful for the presence and ministry of the spirit. We are grateful because today we get to say salvation belongs to the Lord. I pray, Lord, that we may be able to see the vision of what is yet to come. So and so close. That we would want to bring that here today. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, continue to be confronted with the things that we have in our hearts. We may be quick to repent. Quick to seek reconciliation. Quick to love. Quick to do life together. Quick to open the doors of our house to people that are not like us. Quick to weep 
quick to rejoice, quick to live out our unity in diversity, including ethnic diversity. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, can you please stand? together. Come on.
before receiving the last blessing, before closing the service, I, I want to invite you to come back next week as we're going to start a new series called Unfiltered Love, which is going to be based on a section of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because not only we want to talk about what it means to be a diverse church, but how that, that diverse church, how this community that people, of people that are different learn how to love one another. So please come back and invite others. I think that the Lord is going to use that in amazing ways. Amen. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.